We're going to receive the offering. We'll do that. And then we'll move quickly into the Word of God tonight. This morning we uh, were looking at Judges chapter 6, which is the seventh book of the Old Testament. And uh, well, we had part one of the message called, When Your Harvest is Stolen. We talked about the Midianites stealing the harvest. And uh, it's often said that truth is stranger than fiction. And if that is so, you need look no further than the story of Gideon to confirm it. If Steven Spielberg was to make this story into a Hollywood war movie, not even Bruce Willis or Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone or Jean-Claude Van Damme or Harrison Ford combined could actually face the odds that Gideon faced and still make it believable. And in spite of all the overwhelming odds and the impossibility of winning over such military might without any weapon of any kind, Gideon's little band of brothers gave the Midianites such a thrashing, such a routing, that never again did they rise up against them. Now the background of this story is simply this. This is approximately 200 years after Joshua has led the children of Israel into the promised land. Almost all of her enemies had been conquered. But some Midianites and Amalekites and a few Canaanites had been left or spared. And this was to prove a very costly mistake on part of the Israelites. Because now those who were spared had grown into quite a formidable army and an implacable foe. And it says in chapter 7, verse 11, they were like grasshoppers for multitude. And in chapter 8, verse 10, if you care to count that, you'll find that they had 135,000 armed men at their disposal. They had also the most uh, advanced military vehicle of the day. And that was camels. Yes, that's right, camels, believe it or not. Camels are quite tall, aren't they? And they're ugly brutes, end of the bargain. And if you can imagine a Midianite on a camel with a flashing sword beating down, racing down upon the little Israelite standing with nothing to defend them, not anything, not a sword, not a stick, nothing. You can imagine that must have been quite a frightening sight to behold. Previous foes not dealt with become present day enemies. Now Midian, as we said this morning, was the son of Abraham through Keturah. 
the second wife. And Amalek was the grandson of Esau. You remember that Esau, the Bible says, was a profane man, an irreverent man, a man who had no time for the things of God. And Midian was no better. And those who came after them, their lineage was also no better uh, because the Amalekites and the Midianites absolutely despised the people of God by and large. And so neither of them were covenant people and yet Israel compromised with them. And so we ended up this morning saying in Joshua 6 verse 6 that it came to the point where enough was enough. Seven years they had stolen each and every harvest. And it got to the stage where the people of God were thoroughly sick of it and they had enough of it. And what did they do? They cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard their cry. And the Lord was determined to do something about it. But before he sends them a protector, he sends them a prophet. And he sends them a prophet to to correct them, basically. And to remind them of what God had done in the past. And then he sent them a protector, a judge. And when we say a judge, you're not thinking of a man who's sitting with a big white wig on a bench. Uh, A judge was a deliverer, a man, a woman that God would raise up uh, on these occasions uh, to do tremendous exploits against all odds and deliver Israel. And so we want to just break into the story then tonight from about verse 11 of chapter 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiasrite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Uh, Now, normally uh, wheat would be threshed by animals with a contraption on the back that would go over the the straw and 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 the grain and separate the two. And that would normally be done in the open air. Uh, particularly if you could get a hilly area where the wind would blow that would separate uh, the corn uh, from, the, uh, from the straw. But because of the Midianites and because they were stealing their harvest, you see here that uh, Joash was threshing wheat by hand and he was doing it in a wine press. And that would probably be a large stone with an indentation, either natural or carved out, with a little trough in there where they would normally tread out grapes. Uh, But there was no grapes. The vineyards were gone. Uh, And what uh, grain they managed to salvage because of the the way they were being oppressed. You see here he was hiding from the Midianites and he was eking out uh, this little bit of grain. And so in that particular uh, condition, verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, he certainly didn't look like a mighty man of valor. And he certainly didn't act like a mighty man of valor at this point. And for sure, he didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. Aren't you glad that God sees not just what we are, but what we can become with his help and with his grace? When it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is a theophany. This is an Old Testament appearance of one of the Godhead in a physical form. 
uh, Gideon at this point is not quite sure who this is. But it's quite a shock to him when this personage said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which your fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Now this tells us a little bit about Gideon. This tells us, first of all, that Gideon was a spiritual man. And he was a deep thinker. His father was a backslidden idolater, worshipping Baal and the gods of Baal. But here's the youngest son of the family. And there's something inside this young man that's spiritual. He's a thinker. And he's thinking about the things of God and the state of the nation, and why things are happening. And he's wondering about it. And so when the angel of the Lord comes to him, this is the first thing that comes out of his heart. So it's obviously he was thinking about those things at that particular time. This is something that God had recognized in him. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? This was one of Gideon's strengths. That he was a spiritual man. In the midst of a backslidden, pagan-driven nation. And that he was a thinker. It's good to think about spiritual things, isn't it? It's good to think about the things of God. So he said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am least in my father's house. Now, I'm not sure whether that was completely true humility or a little bit of... (laughs) It's a bit scary what you're asking me to do here. Because later on you'll see that he actually had ten servants. So his clan wasn't that badly off. Actually, it must have been quite a strong clan in Manasseh. But anyway, it was true. He was least in the father's house. He was the youngest. The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he says, I will wait until you come back. Now he's wondering, who is this man, this personage? And he's thinking, could this really be the Lord? I'm not sure. But whoever he is, I feel I've got to honor him. So he says, let me, come, let me make you a meal. You, you stay there till I come back. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat. That would take a little bit of time, wouldn't it? An unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. Now, an ephah of flour was something like 35 to 45 pounds of flour. 
So he wasn't being stingy here. That possibly was all the flour that they had in the house under the conditions of her living. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Now he's sure. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, of course, in those days, they believed that if you saw God face to face, you would die. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built another there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abiasrites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. This is the image of Asherah, a Canaanite goddess, a fertility goddess. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, he's quite brave actually to do this in the first place. But he's just not quite brave enough to do it during the day. So he does it at night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was an altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. The second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said one to another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because, the altar has been, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day he called him Jeruel saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Now, sometimes, sometimes it's the children that inspires the parents. Sometimes it's the young man and the young woman that inspires the older generation. And here is such a case. Well, the old man had backslid, no longer worshipping the true and living God, had raised up altars of Baal on himself to his whole house, but here is his son standing up in the midst of it, and standing for truth, and standing for God, standing for Jehovah. And suddenly the old man plucks up courage and stirs himself and realizes the foolishness of worshipping an idol that can do nothing not only for itself, but for anybody. And then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and people of the East, 
gathered together and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. The valley of Jezreel is where the last great final battle, mother of all battles, Armageddon, will be fought in the valley of Jezreel. It's the same place. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew the trumpet. And the Abiasrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. Notice that, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The original says, and the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon, took possession of Gideon. Something's happening to this young man. A new strength is coming in. A new boldness will come in. A new power will come in because the Spirit of the Lord has come upon him. In the Old Testament, as you read through, you'll see many occasions where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a man or a woman and clothes themselves with them like Moses or Elisha, or Samson, or Othniel, or others. But when you come into the New Testament, after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon a person, but comes within us, takes residence within our spirit. And there's a difference. It doesn't just come for some special task as he did in the Old Testament, as he's doing here with Gideon. But he is our advocate. He is the one who is within us, who strengthens us and comforts us in everyday living. And not just for some selected people, but for every believer. All 120 in the day of Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter in his great sermon on the day of Pentecost said that the gift of the Holy Spirit, this promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is unto you and to your children and to those who are far off and even to as many as the Lord your God shall call. And it was not just for some limited period. Like when the Spirit of God came upon Samson. But he comes to indwell Take up his abode. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And not just for some external, physical, practical reason, but for a moral reason, for a spiritual reason, that his fruit and his power is within our lives. And so the Spirit of God clothed himself with Gideon. And now the armies are amassing against the children of Israel. They're coming again to destroy their harvests and to steal their food and to steal their livestock as they have done in the previous six years. But here they come again. And now Gideon wants to know the will of God. And so verses 36 to 40, the last of chapter 6, he's trying to ascertain the will of God and let's read this. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, 
I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. I kind of get the feeling that he's kind of putting himself in the position as the fleece. Testing God to see, have I really heard from heaven here? And so it was. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung out, drew out of the fleece a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. I wonder, I wonder was he saying, Now I've seen it on the fleece. I think the Spirit of God's on me. But I wonder, will he be on those who will stand by my side? I wonder, will the Spirit of God be with those around me? On the ground. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. But there was dew on the ground. Now, Gideon's problem was not hearing God but heeding God. And for all of us, that's our problem. It's not hearing God, it's heeding God. God speaks to us plenty through his word, plenty through thoughts and impulses. He speaks to us. It's not hearing him, it's heeding him is the problem. That's my problem. That's your problem too, isn't it? Obedience. And I think Gideon's problem was more disbelieving himself than believing God. And that's our problem too, isn't it? We know that God can do anything because he's God. But with us, with me, that's the problem, isn't it? And this was his problem too. Now, you have to remember that Gideon was brought up in an idolatrous household with probably little or no access to the Word of God, to the written Word of God. And so, I think that God is being generous and patient with him for that reason. Because now he's, he's given God two tests. But I think God has been generous and patient. And in this whole business about the fleece, he's looking reassurance Moses needed his rod. Elisha needed his mantle. The high priest needed the Urim and Thummim. Gideon needed his fleece. The disciples cast lots before Pentecost. Acts chapter 1. Now, let me just say something about fleeces. Now, some of you young ones... Maybe this is the first time you heard about fleeces, but people of my generation, it was common practice for older Christians to say, I'm going to put out a fleece. I'm not sure if God's speaking to me or not. I'm not sure if what I'm going to do is the will of God or not. So I'm going to put out a fleece. No, I'm going to test God. I'm going to see, is this the will of God? So I'm going to do something, and if God does it as I hope he does and ask him to do, then I'll know this is the will of God and I'll continue with it. 
That's putting out a fleece. Anybody in here ever put out a fleece? It's interesting, it's all the older ones, isn't it? So you young ones, listen up. Now the problem with putting out a fleece is God in his mercy may, may actually give you the answer. But the problem with it is it, it can go wrong. Let me give you an example. Just say that you wanted to go to Bible school or you wanted to go in the mission field and you ask God, now I'm going to put out a fleece. I think this is the will of God for me, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to put out a fleece, and if God does this, I'll know, and I'll go. So God, here's, here's my fleece. I don't have a dime. I haven't got a penny. I need 5,000 pounds by October the 1st. Now God, if you can find a way to get me that to me, and I have no idea how you can do that, because I certainly can't, but if I get that by October the 1st, I'll know that's God, and I'll go. And so, strangely, miraculously, money starts to come in. People give you money left, right, and center. And they come up and say, do you know, I, I don't know why, but I just feel I need to give you this. There's 100 pounds. You think, this is really working. This is wonderful. And so October the 1st comes, and you count up your money, and you have 4,950 pounds. So close, so near, yet so far. Now let me ask you the question, as you will ask yourself then, is this God saying no? Because I haven't got the full 5,000? And if it is God saying no, how in the world did he get the 4,950? Where did it come from mysteriously? Now you're in a dilemma. Now you're right back to the start. Now it could be God in his mercy may give you the 5,000 October the 1st and you say, wonderful, I'm ready to go now. Or you may say, Lord, I'm not sure about this, but if you don't mind, I'm just going to try this. Lord, by 12 o'clock tomorrow, I want such and such a person to ring me. And just to make it a wee bit harder, this person hasn't spoken to me at least six months and they would have no reason whatsoever even to contact me for anything. And so you set your watch. And it comes, it's one minute to 12 and the phone hasn't rung. It's now 12 o'clock and the phone hasn't rung. And you're still looking at your watch. It's one minute past 12 and the phone hasn't rung. And say, so, well, there you are. Mustn't be the will of God. And just when you're at your biggest disappointment, at five past 12, the phone rings and it's that person. And he's saying to you, I have no idea why I'm ringing you. And you're thinking, but is this God? Because I asked him for 12 o'clock and God's a good timekeeper. And my watch is working like, I mean, it's dead on time. And I check with my mobile phone and it's right. You see the dilemma with the fleece? So for the New Testament Christian, God's not looking for us. God's not wanting us to look for an outward sign. He's wanting us to look for an inner witness. For an inner witness. The sons of God are led by the Spirit 
of God. And that's what he's looking for, an inner witness. Now we just don't have guidance. We have a guide. I'm not much of a hill climber. In fact, I'm not even a hill climber. Not even point not, not, not a hill climber. But say I, I took a mad notion and I wanted to explore the mountains of Morn. There's two ways I can do that. I can get an Ordnance Survey map and I can go out there and I can walk like a mad idiot all around the mountains of Morn and join the scenery with my compass and my map. I could do that. If I learned how to use a compass and a map, I could certainly do that. Or, or, I could get somebody who knows the moors like the back of their hand, who's been there a thousand times, knows every hill and every blade of grass, and I could get them to be my guide. The map will give me guidance, but how much better have I got a guide with me? The Holy Spirit is your guide. And He is within us. And He can give us that inner witness. But the Lord is being generous, and He's being kind and he's being I suppose patient here with Gideon in that he's letting him allow the fleece then Jeroboam that is Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill Moreh in the valley and the Lord said to Gideon the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand have saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 only remained. Now, remember the wee verse we read just earlier in the last chapter. You remember when he blew the trumpet and he sent out to get help? And he went to four different tribes, Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. Now, if you read the census of those tribes, you'll find out that they had enough men for an army of 212,000. Out of all those four tribes. And yet only 32,000 of them were willing to come to help get in. So that is less than one in seven that could have helped were actually willing to help. And so at least there were 32,000 who were willing. The rest could not be bothered. They had no stomach for the fight. They chose the line of least resistance. Willingness is a great attribute in the kingdom of God. Willingness. If you are willing, Paul said, it's accepted what a man has to give, not a, what he hasn't got to give. When he talked about that great offering in 2 Corinthians 8. So willingness is a wonderful thing. But there was too many for God to work with. And so, whoever is fearful and afraid, turn and depart. And 22,000 left them.
Well, that must have been a moment for Gideon. That would be a shocker, wouldn't it? I mean, he probably was a bit disappointed. He only got 32,000 in the first place out of 212,000. Then 22,000 walked off and left him. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them there for you. Then it shall be that whom I say unto you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. The Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. And likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. The number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who have lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Now here's God's testing and sifting this crowd. 32,000 were willing but 22,000 were afraid. And now here's 10,000 who were not afraid. They were fearless. Courage is a wonderful thing. John Wesley said, let me read this to you. Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I will shake the world. I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen, and such alone will overthrow the kingdom of Satan and build up the kingdom of God on earth. <laughs> John Knox said, when all the world is against you, say, I am against the world. <laughs> and so here are 10,000 who are willing and they're fearless. But that's not enough for God. There's this one more test, isn't there? There's a test of readiness. And it was a simple test. It was a simple test. Very, very easy test. Sometimes God tests us in the simple things. Not the big complicated things, but just in the simple things. And it was a hidden test. The 10,000 didn't know they were being tested. Gideon didn't tell them. Just told him to go and get a drink. So it was a hidden test. And often God tests us in a hidden way. Sometimes we don't know we're being tested. God's checking us out. See what's in us. And Gideon didn't even know actually until God told him. He didn't know whether it was going to be the lappers or the needers. <laughs> he didn't know. Although I think he was kind of guessing when it whittled down to 300, because God had been whittling it down all, all the way. I mean, I think he had been a bit disappointed, but I think on the other hand, he kind of saw it coming, didn't he? But it was an important test. Big doors swing on small hinges. And sometimes it's those little things that God tests us with that tests our metal and gets us ready for what God is wanting us to do. And all it was was take a drink. And 9,700 of them got down on their hands and knees and they stuck their face into the water. And the other 300, they just bent down and they scooped it up 
and they looked all around and they drunk it out of their hand. Do you ever see those wildlife programs? You see the little spring box and it comes down to the watering hole. It's a bit timorous. It takes a little drink and then it looks all around because there's predators near the water holes, behind the bushes. It takes another little drink and looks around. It doesn't stick its head down and just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. It's careful. And God was looking to see who would be careful? Who would be conscious of an enemy out there? And it was those 300 who just drunk out of their hand. And God said, those are the 300. And now Gideon has less than 1% of all who started out. And he's outnumbered at least 450 to 1. But while Gideon was counting heads, God was weighing hearts. Because God can see it by many or by few. <laughs> and you know, we have a habit of counting heads, don't we? Let me tell you, every preacher in the country counts heads. I count heads every service. And I wonder where people are sometimes. I see an empty seat and I know who it is because you always sit in the same seat, you lot. And woe betide any visitor that sits in your seat. <laughs> By the way, don't let me ever catch you at that. If a visitor goes to sit in your seat, you say, thank you very much, have a seat. Can I sit beside you? Don't say, or look at them as if, hey, that's my seat, don't you dare sit there. I'll never be back again if that's the case. <laughs> but God's not counting heads God's counting hearts he's weighing hearts isn't he that's what he's looking at so there's only 300 who are ready to go and here they are where are we now in this story we're at verse what verse are we at? Verse 7. Then the, yeah, verse eight. then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who have lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. He sent, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those three hundred men. Now the camp of Midian was below him, in the valley. What an awesome sight that must have been. For Gideon to look down in that valley and see camels without number and chariots and 135,000 warriors and they haven't even got a weapon and there's only 300 of them. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. <laughs> How would you like to be standing in Gideon's shoes? <laughs> but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. See how gracious God is with us. 
And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down to the Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. That took some courage even to do that. Now the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. Now, people of the East particularly believe a lot in dreams. By the way, did you know that, that God is coming to many Muslims in dreams today? And they're having appearances of Christ in dreams. And then when they wonder what this could mean, then they're looking at Christians to find out the reason for it. Throughout the Old Testament, you'll find there was many had dreams. Daniel had dreams, and he was an interpreter of dreams to the kings, wasn't he? Joseph was a dreamer. His brothers called him this dreamer. And he was an interpreter of dreams also. So dreams were very important. But here's the wonderful thing about this. Here are these pagans, these Midianites, God's people's enemies. And God is giving them a dream. And he said, I have a dream. And to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And it came to a tent and it struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Barley bread was the meanest bread. It was the laborer's bread. It was the cheapest bread. It was the most insignificant bread. Which was a great picture, of course, of Gideon himself. And so Gideon could begin to understand what this is talking about. I'm the party loaf. <laughs> Nothing. But yet it knocked down a tent. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Now isn't that an amazing thing? Here are two pagan soldiers and God gives one the dream and he gives the other interpretation. And all they could think about is, this is Gideon. This is a sword of Gideon. He's given this whole camp into this man's hand. That was some shocking dream, wasn't it? It's amazing what God can do with just a little barley loaf, isn't it? Five little barley loaves and two small fishes in the hand of the master can do something miraculous, can't it? And you and I may just be little barley loaves, but we're in the hand of God. God can do something with us, can't he? And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into, into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet, which was a ram's horn. He put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty clay jars, pictures, and torches inside the pictures. <laughs> Some weapons, those. Imagine, imagine facing 145,000 Midianites armed to the teeth and all you've got is a clay jar with a torch in it and a ram's horn to blow. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But not when God's in it. Then he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you do as I do. 
When I blow the trumpet, I and all here with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. That's about 10 o'clock at night. The whole camp has settled down for the night. And the first watch has just retired for the night. And boy, they're tired. They've been up hours. And they'd marched all day, so they're really tired. And the new one's coming on. They're still rubbing their eyes, getting the sleep out of their eyes. And the whole camp is just still. And all the camels is bedded down for the night. So they came at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets, and they broke the pictures with their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pictures and held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. Pandemonium broke out in the camp of the enemy. Can you imagine it? Here they are, all bedded down for the night. And suddenly there's this almighty racket going on and 300 men shouting at the top of their voices and all these lights all around the hills. They thought it was a mighty army had come against them. And can you imagine those camels? <laughs> those camels would jump up out of their sleep and they would go absolutely berserk. They'd be running everywhere all over the place. And remember, it's dark at this time. And the 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerirah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued the Midianites. Huh. Reminds me of the story in Second Kings where the Syrians had surrounded the city of Samaria. And there they were with their mighty army all around the city of Samaria. They'd been there for a long time. It was a war of attrition. And they were starving out the people in the city of Samaria. And it got so bad they were eating donkeys' heads. Donkeys' heads were being sold for a high price. They were starving. And there was four leprous men sitting at the gate of Samaria. And they said, do you know what? We're going to die here if we don't do something. If we go into the city, we'll die of starvation. If we sit here, we'll surely die. But if we go to the camp of the Syrians, maybe, maybe they'll let us live. We'll have nothing to lose. Let's go to the camp of the Syrians. And as they started to go out, and as they started to shuffle their way out, God magnified their footsteps. And to those Assyrians, it became like a mighty, mighty army. They thought they had gotten help from the Egyptians and everywhere. And again, like this lot, they absolutely went into confusion. And they ran, and they fled, and they left everything to get out of that place. And what a mighty victory there was. And here this little band of 300 
obeying the Lord, filled with the Spirit, without any carnal weapons. The weapons of our warfare are what are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And what a great victory. We'll not read it because of time, but if you were to read on through that and all through the next chapter, you'd find that the kings of the Midianites were taken and they were killed. And in verse 28 of chapter 8, it says, Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. All they had in their left hands was a light. Your left hand is normally your weakest hand. But even the weakest hand with a light in it is good enough to win a great victory. The right hand is the hand of authority. And they had the trumpet. You know, two things a trumpet was blown for in the Old Testament. One was for warfare and one was for worship. And this was for warfare. And it was spiritual warfare because they had no carnal weapons. They were trusting wholly and completely in God alone for the victory. And God supernaturally gave them a mighty, mighty victory that absolutely routed the Midianites until they raised their heads no more and there was 40 years of peace ensued. Isn't that a wonderful story? Don't you get encouraged when we look at ourselves and we see in and of ourselves how weak we are, just body loaves, nothing, but in the hand of God, with God's help, with God's grace, with God's direction, with God's wisdom, with God's purpose, then we can defeat the enemies that steal our harvests. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that these accounts are put here for our admonition. That we may be encouraged and strengthened by what we read and see. Lord, we may see the impossibility that often faces us. In the flesh, in the natural. And yet, Lord, in the spiritual, we have the victory. We have the power. We have the might. Because God is on our side. And one with God is a majority. And we thank you for that. So Lord, even though we may feel outnumbered and outgunned by what comes against us, yet Lord, in your hand we can win a mighty battle. So we give you thanks for this tonight. And as Lord, as we push ahead and pursue your purposes, Lord, we're determined, Lord, that that enemy, Lord, is not going to steal our harvest anymore. But Lord, we're going to drive him back. And we're going to win our battles in Christ's name. Amen.